I think last time we were we were talking about kind of some basic questions, um, just kind of understanding that the the Old Testament. You, there's really no way, and I don't mean to sound dogmatic, but there's just there's just really honestly no. There's no really other way to study or look at the Old Testament except as pictures of Christ and God's eternal pur- eternal purpose in Christ. There's lots of people that study the Old Testament. There's lots of classes. There's lots of seminary classes. You know, whatever books I've read a lot. You know, on the Old Testament and 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 although there are historical facts involved in, in uh, obviously and in. in uh, in the Bible, there, there's there's history that's true that you know that you could study. There's cultural stuff, I suppose, you could study that's true. Uh, but that's not why it's recorded. It's recorded. You think about it this way: think of how many things happened in the days of Moses or Noah or Abraham that weren't recorded. I guarantee that there are. You know, it's probably a thousand to one ratio. The, the things that were recorded in the history of the life of Abraham or anybody were recorded for a very spe- – it wasn't just to tell his story. They were recorded for a very specific purpose, and that purpose is to – well, that purpose is stated perfectly by Jesus. These are they that testify of me. He could have said – he could have said, there are many things that happened that weren't recorded, but these that were recorded are they that testify of me. You know, These are the pictures that I have divinely orchestrated and recorded and made sure that you know, have, have, uh, have lasted and, and been preserved throughout the, the centuries that, that, that give God's perspective, a Holy Spirit-given uh, perspective, perspective of that which um, uh, describes me, not just, as we said last time, not just Jesus as we often think of him in the natural, as a man walking in the earth, uh, but Jesus as the light of a city, Jesus as the life of a body, Jesus as the uh, as the let me turn off a couple things here. Jesus, you know, Jesus as he is in, in the resurrection. So anyway, we were talking about that, and we were we were um, going on and, and, and looking at the question, why why does God use types and shadows? Why did he uh, first give us the testimony and then and then give us his son? And um, there we go. And uh, we, I, I attempted to answer some of those questions, but I'm kind of just going to, not without reviewing all of that, I'm just going to kind of pick up and write where we left off. And, and when, we, when we left off, I was trying to describe that uh, first, God gave us his perspective of Christ in pictures. First, he gave us the testimony, and then he gave us his son. And and that if he would have given us, I mean, this is one of probably dozens of reasons in the mind of the Lord, or thousands, who knows, um, why he set it up this way. But one of the ones that, that makes sense to me, at least, is the fact that if he would have given us the, the fullness of Christ without giving us the, the types and shadows, the pictures and descriptions, without first filling up time with the testimony of his son, then it would have been like giving a you know, a, a, a microprocessor to a caveman it, without any understanding of what he had in his hands, you know, he would probably, who knows what he would use it for, picking, you know, dirt from underneath his fingernails or something, I don't know. And, uh, and, and so he, he, he filled up time with a testimony. And I think that's what it means when, it, when the Bible talks about Christ coming in the fullness of time. It actually, it's not really the, um, well, I don't know. I'm thinking about the Spanish Bible now, but when it talks that word, the fullness of time has to do with. I mean, that that word has to do with being filled to the brim or being absolutely stuffed. It's like when 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 time had been stuffed full of the testimony of pictures of spiritual reality, when when God had employed time with a very for a very specific purpose to testify of Christ. 
That's why he created time. That's why there is this timeline of history. All of these things that are happening in time, God is using them to testify beyond time to something that is timeless. And when when God had, in the fullness of time, when time was absolutely like about to burst with the testimony, think of it kind of like that way. It's sort of like when, you know, time time was pregnant with with the, the, the foreshadows of Christ. Time was nine months pregnant and overdue with, with all of these things that pointed to him. Then he came. And, and what we have throughout the Old Testament is just, it's just a million different uh, pictures from a million different angles in fact, I have this diagram here. Let me see if I can put it on here for you guys. It's actually a diagram of uh, Melchizedek. It's something I I put on when I talk about Melchizedek. But let me let me put it on here because it's kind of a good a good way to describe the Old Testament in real general terms. Um, diagrams. If you guys can see that, this is this is something that I think God does with Melchizedek. He shows you the the end in the beginning. In one man, he shows you a kingdom and a priesthood. He shows you um, the one receiving the tithe from Abraham, the one offering to Abraham the the bread and the wine of the new covenant. You, you can spend time looking at that in Genesis 14. It's just a few verses there, and then in, in all of Hebrews 7. It kind of takes apart this whole story of Melchizedek and dissects it. But but what you see here is kind of what I've tried to... The, what you see in Melchizedek is, is kind of what the Old Testament does. Before God created the types and shadows, there was the fullness of Christ. And as you can see here in this, in this uh, diagram, the beginning and the end are the same. And what God does in the middle is he... He, it's almost like he takes apart Christ in a, in, a, in a manner of speaking, divides him up into all these different facets and aspects, and then elaborates on them, describes them, illustrates them, brings them to light in all these different forms and ways. You know, you have pictures of him in David in the kingdom. You have pictures of him in, in uh, Aaron in the, in the priesthood. You have pictures of him in the land and pictures of him in the flood and, and all of these different pictures of Christ. It's kind of, it, it's it's like he, uh, it's like, it, sometimes I compare it to like the, you know, having a deck of cards and spreading them out on the table and then bringing them back together again. Jesus was the fullness of everything before God created. What was the purpose of creation? It was to more or less spread out Jesus and point to all of his perfection and and his attributes and God's purpose in him and God's desire to have a people living in him, by him, glorifying him, whatever. All these little pieces, and then, as as Ephesians says in various places of the New Testament, then he gathers up all of those pieces back into the thing that they came from. He reunites them all in Christ, and so Christ appears, and he and he starts saying, "I am, I am that, I am that." He starts pointing to the fragrance. I am the vine. I am the door. I am the bread. I am, and he just, and 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 these are all fragments that, first of all, were they were him to begin with before they were ever a created thing, before they were ever a uh, a shadow in the natural creation. They were a uh, they were a spiritual reality in the eternal Son of God, and so they start off in the mind of God in this perfect, complete oneness and, and unity in Christ. The natural creation was given to us as a multifaceted testimony. Um, not complicated, but profound. I mean, it's not like it's testifying of a bunch of different complicated things. It's really just testifying of one son from a whole bunch of different angles. You know, there's that famous story of the seven blind men that uh, walk up to an elephant. You guys have probably heard this. And uh, <clears throat> they all, you know, touch a different part of the elephant and they begin to describe the elephant to each other and they get into kind of an argument about, you know, an, an elephant, the guy that has a hold of the tail says an elephant is long and skinny and, you know, wiggly or something. And then the guy that uh, has a hold of the leg 
says, no, no, it's huge like a tree trunk and, 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 and strong. And the other guy has a hold of the ear and he says, no, it's like a big floppy pancake or something. I don't know. The, what I'm trying to say is that there's, there's all these views of the one Christ. And that's exactly what God is giving to us through the Old Testament. And honestly, guys, if, if we're not reading the Old Testament with a view to seeing Him and then finding in Him the life that is being testified to in every one of those shadows, then we're not reading the Old Testament for the reason that God has given it to us. And I know that's, that may sound like, I don't think to any of you that probably sounds like a strong statement, but to a lot of Christians that sounds absolutely ridiculous. Even though Jesus himself and all of the New Testament, as we pointed out last time, does nothing other than that with the Old Testament, it's still, unfortunately, it's a very foreign concept in the body of Christ to approach the Old Testament as a testament, as a testimony of, of one living Christ. And, and the reason I think it is, is, is not because that's not what it says in the New Testament, because that's what, that, it is what it says. All throughout the New Testament, that's exactly what it says. The reason it's hard for us to believe that all of the old is speaking of Christ is because we have such a very small view of Christ. In other words... If, if our view of Christ is small, if our understanding of Christ is, is as small as just, you know, the standard natural mind understanding of Jesus the Messiah, then how in the world are we going to see aspects and facets of, of him and, and the experience of being in him and participating in his life and death? and, and all, How are we going to see that in the Old Testament if those aren't even things that we've seen in Him, if those aren't even things that the Lord has dealt with us, uh, you know, or we've seen or been able to, to, to comprehend about the fulfillment. Do you see what I'm saying? If, you're, if your view of Christ is tiny, then your understanding of the Old Testament is going to be equally tiny. But when the Lord begins to reveal in you the greatness of Christ, all of a sudden, and I know you guys have experienced this, all of a sudden, the Old Testament begins to fill up with meaning. It's the meaning that it's always had, but suddenly it's meaningful to you. Why? Because your view of Christ is, is enlarging. The boundaries of, of the knowledge of Christ in your soul are expanding. You could say the boundaries of Israel are expanding in the land. They're taking more territory. And then suddenly you read this familiar story about Noah and the, and, and the flood, and, and all of a sudden it's talking about something that your heart has seen in Christ. All of a sudden, this famous story that, that everyone knows, Christian or not, you know, is, uh, is, is describing and testifying of something that has started to become so real in your own. So I remember that one of, that was one of the first, I mentioned that probably because it was one of the first things I started to see when I, when I began to see the division of the cross, the reality of life and death, uh, the, uh, the fact that outside of Christ, everything already is dead, even though it continues in the natural realm. I was talking to Austin about that this week. Just, just what is death to God? What is, what is life to God? And, and, and I remember just for, for, for a moment, this is the first time I'd ever thought of Noah and the ark in this way, but I pictured myself in Christ like Noah in the ark, looking out one of those little windows, you know, and seeing that the only place in the entire world where there was life was right there in that ark. You know, you look around in the ark and there's like animals galore and life galore. You know, it's just packed into this one container. And outside, you know, I mean, it must have been pretty horrible at first just hearing everything die and hearing the flood waters come in and people screaming and, I don't know, giraffes treading water and like, I don't know what what giraffes do, but... Um, you know, you just it, just picture looking out that window, and all you see is death on every side. You could you could run to the other window and look out that window, and it's, it's death. You know, you run to the other side of the ark and check out that death everywhere, death. And uh, and 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 only right there inside the ark is 
is life. And that's what it felt like when I started to wake up and see the reality of being in Christ. It didn't matter how much activity I saw outside of the ark. It all seemed so dead. It didn't matter how much movement or human thought or human zeal was flopping and, 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 and dog paddling around outside of the ark that is Christ. To me, I saw it as dead. And man, I'll tell you what, that is an example of a type and shadow starting to mean something in your heart that it meant to God before he even created the earth. I mean, God always knew that Christ was the boundaries of life and only in him is life. And outside of him, there might be things that point to life, but there's nothing of life. God always knew that reality. He always had that reality. And yet, he designed history and filled history with testimonies of that reality. Anyway, so and that kind of gets into the to the uh, the issue of how do you know one of the things I have on my list here? How do you know if you're seeing a type and shadow correctly? Well, it's not guesswork. You don't you don't you don't just you know um, sit around and try to decode the Bible like it's something that a natural mind can do. You really you really know when you're seeing something correctly. I think when the reality that you're the reality that you're facing in your soul in the light lines up so perfectly and amazingly with this thing that you're reading, this testimony that you're reading in the Old Testament, that, that when you read it, it speaks of this living experience of the resurrected Son of God. And your experience of the resurrected Son of God lines up perfectly with this type and shadow. And not only that, you start to see it appear almost every single type and shadow, except for maybe you know some more detailed ones, but almost every picture of Christ isn't given to us just one time in the Old Testament. These things just repeat over and over. You see it here, you see it here, you see it here, and then all of a sudden you never saw it there before, and here it is in this story. And here, same thing in this story. And then, you, then it's in the words of the prophets here in Isaiah. I mean, it's these things just start. You start seeing them everywhere, and and that's kind of the way the Spirit of God confirms it. It's not. It's not decoding the Bible. It's not trying to, you know, draw like connect the dots between like this thing in the Old Testament and this thing in the New Testament. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to experience the reality, and then. As we as we grow in the reality, the the shadow both confirms and further explains the thing that we're experiencing. It 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 confirms and it adds details that we've never seen before, you know, and, and points to more of the reality for us. And uh, I don't know. For me, there's honestly there's nothing uh, there's nothing more exciting than that because not because again not at all because I'm figuring out the bible that's not shouldn't even be on the list of um you know of our priorities at all it's because experiencing the substance becomes the understanding of the shadow and the understanding of the shadow points to more experiencing of the substance and on and on it goes on and on it goes and so the the, the greatness and the variety of types and shadows corresponds in the Old Testament corresponds to the immensity of Christ. I wouldn't say it corresponds to the to the. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't like when I hear I like people talk about how complicated it, it shouldn't. It shouldn't feel complicated to your heart. It should feel like. I mean, it's it's profound and it's real and it's amazing and it, there's always more to see. But it shouldn't ever feel like if it's complicated. I think you're thinking with the wrong head, you know. I think you're uh, using the wrong mind uh, because it shouldn't feel complicated. It should just feel immense. And uh, and and so there is there's there's an unbelievable, you know, in Hebrews chapter uh, one, it starts off by saying in in um, in, in various ways and times of old, how does it say it? Um, let me flip there real quick. Here we go. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. All right, so, and he says, now he has in these last days, or in, in a, maybe a, a different and maybe a slightly more accurate translation, at the end of these days, 
is how the, I think the concordant literal reads. He has spoken to us in Son. It doesn't say by his Son or through his Son, as some translations put it. In Greek, it's simply in Son. He has spoken to us in Son. He used to speak about his Son. Now, the speaking is actually in the Son. He used to testify about a kingdom. Now, he shows you that kingdom in his Son. But I like the thing where it says, various times, in various ways, fathers, prophets, he kind of... He kind of uh, says, look, you know, in time past, God was testifying in a whole bunch of different ways. Why, was, why, did there, why couldn't he have stopped? I mean, you have, to, you have to see that the immensity of Christ is the reason for the, great, for, the, for the greatness of variety and scope and depth of the Old Testament. You know, someone could say, you know, why, did, why, did, why didn't you just stop after the two trees? I mean, you have, there you go, you got the, you got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you got man's tree, you got the tree of life, you got Christ's tree, the life, you got the rejection there of the one, and, and, and you got their, their, their being expelled from the garden, and, and uh, you know, God, you could have wrapped up the testimony right there, it's all right, and, and God, I think, would respond to that saying, you know what, that's a, that's a view of my son. That's a view of my purpose in Christ. And yet, I have so much more to say. I have so much more to testify. You know, so then, the story continues. You see the wrong man filling the earth with his own kind and violence and death and all this stuff. And then the flood comes as this enormous judgment on the wrong man. And then, and then, uh, and then the ark is raised up and seated high in a new, you know, on top of the mountain of God. And a new creation comes out of it under a new covenant. And then... And there's no more condemnation, and and there's the blood is the life is sacred in this new covenant, and all these pictures that are right there in Genesis nine. I mean, right there in the beginning of the Bible. And you could ask God, how come, uh, you know, why didn't you send Christ right then? You know, you, you, that's an awesome testimony of the cross. Jesus could have come right then, and and I could picture the Lord saying, you know, yeah, that is a great picture of my uh, of the cross, and and what I'm going to do. In Christ, but you know what? I have so much more I want to say first. I have so much more to testify to. You know, and then you could just do that again and again. You know, then you got Abraham, leave your father, your country, your kindred, you know, whatever. Go out from one world into another that has to be revealed to you, you know, and then that whole process of, of separating from Lot and then seeing the land where he was and walking the length and the breadth and the depth, and you could say again, God, how about sending Jesus now? Well, I still have a lot to say. I have a lot of things to say. And and that is how I see the the Old Testament. And 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 we're going to, you know, uh, we're going to go through like I I've said before, we we did this class like uh, 4 years ago eh, according to the, the 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 measure of light that I had then and and the the things I had seen plus the 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 time that I had, uh, you know, um limited time there because I was about to move to Costa Rica and I'm getting ready to move, you know, and and uh, so we did it for I don't know nine months or something like that. And um, but I'm looking forward to just really going nice and slow through all of these uh, these 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 stories and and sharing even more about what we've seen. Um, one interesting thing to point out that I think Christians sometimes don't realize, or maybe they realize, but they don't think much about it, is the fact that when Paul and Peter and James and John and those guys went throughout all of the known Roman world and were preaching the gospel. They weren't preaching from the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament didn't even start to be written until 25 years or so after after uh, Christ's resurrection. <clears throat> they were preaching from the scriptures. You know, um, I tell you, th- th- this this should strike us as weird because if you ask uh, your average Christian preacher to preach a sermon about Jesus, nine times out of ten probably, if not 99 times out of 100, they're going to say, okay, and they're going to do it from the New Testament. And that's not wrong. It's just that none of the apostles ever did that. They wrote the New Testament, obviously, and the New Testament's part of the Bible. That's true, part of the canon, and I, you know, I, I believe all that stuff. But they preach Christ from the Scriptures, and the scriptures they were using were not just Isaiah 53 and, and Psalm 22, you know, that clearly talk about Jesus's, you know, crucifixion. 
they were going back and proclaiming the substance from the shadow and going from city to city, first going into the uh, the synagogues and saying to the to the Jews, "Look at your scriptures and now look at Christ and see that it's a perfect match you know and, um, and I like that one scripture in Acts where it says the Berea it talks about the Bereans and how they were more what was the word noble or something than the other than the other place that they just had left and they diligently searched in the scriptures to see if these things were true what scriptures were they diligently searching in they weren't looking through Romans you know they were looking through Leviticus you know that's what they were they were looking through the law and the Psalms and the prophets and and so um for me now, I mean, for for some time now, if I had to only choose between like having the Old Testament or the New Testament, I, I personally would choose. You know, I don't like having to have that choice, but I personally would choose the old because the new is the proclamation of what has been fulfilled, but the old is the God-given description of everything that is fulfilled. Do you see what I'm saying? The old is like the br- the blueprints. It's like the it's the it's the A to Z of how God sees Christ. And the new is kind of saying, Look, this is what the old said. It's Christ. You know, look at this. That's also Christ. And don't you know that that's better than you know, the new is awesome, but but if you want a detailed God given description of his eternal salvation and his son, then the place to go for that is the Old Testament, where God himself wrote a book describing his own son. That's what happened there, you know? And so to me that's that's uh you know, that those are some of the the reasons and some of the things I, I don't know that come to my mind when when I think of why types and shadows or why the, fir- the, the you know first the the pictures and then the substance. And and also let me add this too, because our journey of salvation has to do with coming from the first to the second. See, God made, God had the substance first in Christ, and then he made a creation, he entered into that natural creation, and then through the cross, he created a new creation, a purely spiritual, the fulfillment of the first, okay? And then he invites us into the, into the new. And so we begin in the one, and our journey is from the one to the other. And anyway, that for me, I don't know, somehow that ties into to this too as an explanation. Uh, our journey is from the first to the second. Our journey is from Shadowland to the substance. And and so it makes sense to me that that also is the way that God set up the reality of salvation. We come out of one realm that is just a bunch of arrows pointing towards substance, and we come into that substance. And the whole realm in which we are born the whole reality of of God's natural creation and God's use of of Israel and the old covenant all of that is just one big arrow that points us in the way the way actually is is a way out and a way in just like every story of the exodus is you know in the bible every story is a way out and a way in and, and it's a way out of the first and it's a way into the second. And I'm going to say a couple more things about the first and the second in a minute. But the way that the Bible is kind of set up that way, it, what I'm trying to say is it kind of corresponds to our journey. We don't start in the second. We start in the first. We start in the natural man, the natural creation, with a mind that only understands a natural covenant. And then we're born of the second. We come to life, a new life, a new world, a new everything, and the journey of our soul is leaving behind in our comprehension, in the spirit of our mind, what God has already left behind at the cross. Okay? Our journey is this progressive movement of the soul. Not, not you know, as I've said before, not actually trying to get from point A to point B to point C, but starting at point Z with a mind that with a, with a heart that only knows point A and letting the Lord show us the reality of point B and and we make this movement this this advancement so to speak advan- advancement in um in our souls as we come to know as we are known 
we come to apprehend that which we have been apprehended, or that for which we have been apprehended, come to see as we are seen, and all these ways that the New Testament describes this journey. Okay, um, what what are some of the you know types and shadows? You know, the, everything, everything you read about in your. I mean, I I have a list here of things, but you know, th- uh, you know, there's things, trees, rocks, water, light, oil, metals, numbers, whatever, people, Abraham, David, Solomon, Adam. You know, relationships, relationships in. Um, between husband and wife, relationship between uh, David and Saul, you know, relationship between Abraham and Isaac, or you know, father and son. All these different relationships have have aspects because rela- natural relationships are part of shadows. They're they're real in the earth, but the relationship, as Paul says, for instance, in Ephesians five, between husband and wife, is was divinely created and instituted because it was speaking of. What? Christ and the church. Paul says that. Same thing with the relationship between king and servant. Same thing with the relationship between uh, uh, brothers, you know, family. Same thing with the relationship between, what are some other, father and son. These relationships were created in the earth because they pointed, like everything else, to a spiritual reality. And uh, so, so, well, I won't get into all that, but um, places, Jerusalem, uh, wilderness, Egypt, uh, Babylon. Babylon is one that is really starts in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel. Always has the same meaning. All it keeps popping up. Sometimes it's under the name Shinar because that's the name of uh, the location where the Tower of Babel was built. But whether they use Shinar or Babylon, it's always it always means the same thing. You know, Egypt's the same thing. Um, Events, you know, the crossing of the Jordan or the flooding of the world or the parting of the sea. Laws, all of which are some facet of Christ. The law was nothing more or less than God's commandment that described his described what it means to live in a natural type and shadow kind of way, but what it means to live and abide in his son. Offices. Uh, priest, king, prophet, whatever. Uh, animals. I mean, there's there's uh, fruits. I mean, there, there's just everything. There, there's everything. It's all. And 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 someone I think asked me last time. Uh, maybe it was Corey. You know, what do you say uh, to the charge that oh, you're just you're just spiritualizing all these things? I just when I hear that, I just want to want to want to say to to someone, do you actually think these things were? are just, in, my, in God's mind, created by God for totally natural purposes? I mean, do, you, do, we, do we really think that God made the natural realm just as a place to live for people until they die? I mean, that's kind of what we do think. Or, or, do you th- or does the Bible speak about things? Take, for instance, the Song of Solomon, just as a, as a difficult book to understand. Every... Mountain, city, animal, fruit in that book is is clearly speaking of some characteristic of the bride and the bridegroom, although they're using natural parts of creation. That's that's even more obvious when you read the prophets and they're comparing man's pride to the cedars of Lebanon and they're comparing uh, the death uh, of the, the shadow of death to the sea that swallows us up you know and I mean and the and the, and the symbols are are they're consistent throughout the whole Bible in fact you start seeing water as death right in the beginning God separates land from water and and gives there's two place two there's life under the sea and, and there's one kind of life and then there's there's inhabitable life there's there's the breath of life the spirit of life on top of the land, the dry land, and he makes a division and then you see you see that sea again covering the earth with death. And the flood, and you see that sea again bringing death in the Exodus, and you see that sea again as three days and nights as death with Jonah, and you see that 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 sea again as death in all the Psalms of David, and then you see Jesus walking on top of the sea, and then you see Peter walking on top of death, 
as long as he fixes his eyes on Christ. And then you see Peter sinking into that death just as soon as he fixes his heart on the death, on the sea. You know, and these things are consistent. That's my point. I mean, we could do that with we could do that same thing with every one of these trees or fruits or or, or, or water, living water. I mean, whatever you want to do, it, it's it's perfectly consistent. And Jesus, when he comes, he starts to talk about them in the way that they've been used all throughout the Old Testament. He says right away, you know, things like, "Look out for the leaven." of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Where did he get his understanding of leaven? Well, he had it before the world was created. But all throughout the Old Testament, starting especially with Exodus chapter 12 and 13, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where God created a new lump of bread, a new mass of of, of bread free from the leaven of the Adamic nature, sin. Not sins, sin. What is leaven? It's alive. It's 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 some kind of what bacteria or something, you know. And, and it grows. It lives. It fills. It spreads. It takes over. You can't separate it from a, from a loaf unless there's some kind of miracle that somehow separates the leaven from. The, I mean, anyway, it's consistent. And then when Jesus comes, and then Paul too, and First Corinthians five talks about leaven in the same way, and and whatever, you know, all these things. What I'm trying to say is. It's not guesswork. It's just, it's perfect in, in the testimony. It's perfect in the New Testament, declared as, as the fulfillment. And it's, it's a reality in the human soul. So, okay, here we go. We don't have time here. Um, all right. Well, and I kind of already said this, but just to be thorough for anyone that might be listening to this, you know, for the for the first time, as uh, you know, uh, uh, these things being totally new to them, let me just say a couple things about the first and the second. If I have time, I'll get into the uh, the three main categories of types and shadows that I see in the Old Testament. Maybe maybe that'll have to wait till next time. We'll see. But the first and the second, the Bible is really simple. Okay, it it is well in terms of it, it's the way it's laid out for us. It you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to have a PhD in hermeneutics or whatever exegesis or you know you, you just have to be someone with a heart that turns to the Lord. And you're going to see that the Bible has to do with just two things. Okay, and it's the same two things that you're going to find happening in your own heart. So it's not like you have a living illustration of this in your own soul. You don't have to, you don't have to go up to heaven and bring it down, or go down to Hades and bring it back up, as Paul says. You know, it's it's something you're going to find right in yourself. What what am I talking about? It, the Bible is the story of the first and the second, and 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 what's happening in you is also the story or the journey from the first to the second. What's the first? Well, the first is, is, uh, well, it, it's, it's, it, the easiest way to say it is, it's, it's that which pointed to the second. It's, the first is the proclamation of God's purpose. And, and it, it's, it's, I have here written down, from, from the creation of the world to the coming of the sun, God spoke of, testified to, prophesied, demonstrated, proclaimed a reality, a salvation that was to come. In numerous and varied ways, he required Israel to to exhibit in the natural realm something that was coming. The fir- this is the first. It's the first man. It's the first creation. It's the first covenant. It's the shadow. It's the promise. It's the prophecy. It's the picture. It is not God's purpose, but it speaks of God's purpose. It is not God's true salvation, although in every detail it proclaims God's salvation. That's what the first is. Okay. It's that which n- by nature falls short of the second. It doesn't contain God's purpose, God's life, God's glory, but it has pictures of it. It has a lesser kind of glory, the glory of a shadow versus the glory of the substance. Okay. Now, then there's the second. And the second, what's the second? Well, the second is the one 
Christ, the one glorious Son, in whom all of the first becomes spirit and truth. Okay, the second is the substance, it's the person, it's the fulfillment, it's the reality that everything of the first pointed to. It's what God saw from the beginning. It's what God had in the beginning. And, and as, I, as I've said before in other teachings or whatever, the, the beginning and the end are the same. The only difference between the beginning and the end is that in the end, we have gone back with Christ to the beginning. Christ is the Alpha, Christ is the Omega. The only difference between the Alpha and the Omega is that in the Omega, we have found ourselves hidden in the Alpha. Do you see what I'm saying? They're both Christ. And in the middle of the Alpha and the Omega is this world of shadows, this testimony, these prophecies, these proclamations, pictures, types and shadows of spiritual realities. We come out from the one, we come into the other. And what we come into is the same thing that God had in the beginning, except we now become the body of that increase, the kingdom for that glory, the temple for that cloud. I mean, we become the container, the dwelling place that, that he fills with himself. Same substance that God had before, but now in the form of a kingdom, now in the form of a bride, now in the form of a harvest. The first and the last are the same in substance, in character, in nature. There's a difference, though, in that we now, having come back with Christ to the beginning, that, that, that I believe, is the omega. That's the purpose. Everything that God has created in the natural realm points back. You see, if it came out from him, it's going to come back to him. It's hard to describe. Well, what he wants from what he wants from creation is that everything he made that points to him finds its way back to him in substance and spirit and truth. That is to say, every created person was 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 given this realm of shadows, this realm of arrows that points back to the beginning where. Where, 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 where Christ has always been with his Father. And so, so we come in Christ back to that same reality. I don't know if that is making sense, but I'll, I'll leave that alone for now. It's hard. It's kind of difficult to describe. <coughs> but, uh, okay, so that's the, that's the first and the second. It's, 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 uh, the, the first and the second are not, divided by time. You, you shouldn't really understand the first and the second as B.C. and A.D., okay? Because you can be born in A.D. 2012 and still be born into the first, okay? It's true that a massive change happened in and through the cross, but that change divides two men, divides two creations, divides two worlds, doesn't divide time, really, Okay, we, we, we always think in, time, in terms of time. But the first and the second are, are separated by the cross. And the cross does not really... It's one of the things I think Christians fall into. They, they get into talking about dispensations as, as though God is always dealing with time. But God is dealing with two realms, two men, two... A shadow and a substance, not like two different period timelines. Okay, that's not, that's not really... Two covenants, two relationships, okay, yes, but two timelines, no. You can be born way after the coming of Christ, and you're still born in the natural man, part of the natural creation. And the only thing your mind knows is an imaginary natural relationship with God. You're born in the first. Whether you're born in 700 B.C. or 7,000 A.D., your journey is not to get to a new time zone where things are different. Your journey is to experience the cross as your way out of one man, one realm, one covenant, and your, 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 your Jacob's ladder out of that world, out of that man, and into another. That's the journey from the first and the second. 
Okay? So to understand the eternal purpose of God, we have to understand that the first is the proclamation of the Christ who was to come. And the second is the experience and revelation of the Christ who has come. And the journey... Or the, or the division of the gateway or the door or whatever you want to say it, the la- Jacob's ladder between the first and the second isn't natural time. It is the cross that actually crucifies you to... Oh boy. My... Sorry guys, I got... I got disconnected there. Do I have audio? No, I don't. Maybe I do. All right, all right. Thanks. Uh, yeah. So the the journey out from the one to the other is not okay. Is not time related. It is cross related. You're gonna leave the first and become and experience the second to the measure that the cross makes you dead to the one and alive to the other in Jesus Christ. Okay, hopefully that'll... If that's new to some of you, that'll that'll make more sense as we go along because all of the types and shadows point to this reality. All of the types and shadows, in one way or another, speak of the end of the first and the entrance and, and revelation of the second. I mean, some of them in a, in a super obvious way. Others in a way that, 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 you know, some of them it's almost like you could see it and understand it with your natural mind without without any spiritual understanding at all. Um, others, uh, you, you couldn't see anything in it without without the Lord. And, and honestly, a natural understanding of types and shadows isn't worth anything anyway. So, um, okay, so, well, let's see, man. I guess it's kind of getting close to the the end. I really wanted to get further than that, but um, yeah, I guess I'll maybe end with this, and then we'll get into we'll get into the other thing next week. But let me just say really clearly again: I may have said this last time. I don't even remember. We're doing this class, and and, and we are interested in this. Reality. Justin says, "Just keep going." Uh, well, I don't know if anyone does. No one has to go. I mean, it's kind of late for people in, in Ohio. Um. Yeah, we're you know we're we're doing this class for one reason. I, I just really want this to be super clear and real to everybody. Um, we're doing this class. Because eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, And this is eternal life, that you might know, you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This knowing, this, this, this spiritual seeing, which is also the same thing as faith, which is also... Faith is alive and it's living. Faith is for living, not for believing. Faith, you know what I'm saying? By faith we access this grace in which we stand. By faith we live. We live by faith. We walk by faith. That is to say, what we come to see and know of Him becomes the world that's real to us, the place that we live, the life that eclipses and puts away another life. You know, that's the whole point. It's not... I sometimes get kind of, uh, you know, shivers, or, or I don't know, it freaks me out to think of people hearing this and just having some kind of an intellectual or theological interest in it. I, I struggle with that too sometimes, and don't get me wrong, I get all excited about things for, for intellectual reasons. Sometimes I'll figure out something and I'll just get all geeked about it, and the Lord has to slap me back into reality and show me, Jason, this isn't, as exciting as it is maybe to like, Realize that this verse is talking about this or that. You don't have anything unless you have a greater knowing happening in your soul of my son who is your life. Apart from that, we're wasting our time. I mean, everything is a waste of time. Apart from that, I mean, that's what eternal life is. 
It's the soul's possession of Christ by faith. It's the it's the soul's apprehension and experience. It's 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 lift. Here's what it is. It's lift up your eyes, Abraham, and look to the north, to the south, to the east, and the west, and and go see the land that I have given to you. Everywhere you put your foot, I have given to you as your possession. That's what this is about for me. For me, this is about using the Old Testament as kind of like a map to explore the land that is Christ. It's just, it's a, it can't be anything other than that for us. It's just, the Old Testament to me, it just kind of, a changing of our heart from Adam to Christ. Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah, that's good, Ryan. Or D, whoever wrote that. A changing of our heart from, from the heart of one man to the heart of another. Or the light from the from the darkness. Jesus said, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? To, to, from the darkness to the light. It's it's all about that. And if it's less than that, then we're... We just got to let the Lord deal with our hearts. You know, it's not a crime or anything. It's just... It's just it's got to be about this this journey, uh, and, you know. And there's some pictures that are just we're going to see. We're going to spend a lot of time with Abraham. I love Abraham's journey because it starts with get out. I love that's it. the first thing. It's not like God says to Abraham, "Hello, Abraham. I'm God, and I'm going to be your you know your uh, your guide for the next 75 years or something." He says, "Abraham, get out." Of your country, kindred, and father's house, and go unto a land that I will reveal to you. I mean, that's just that's just that's how it starts, and that's his journey, and that's our journey, and 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 the inheritance wasn't ever anything natural. I mean, he didn't see anything naturally in that land, except for a drought and some 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 uh, arguments with uh, you know the Canaanites. But God brought him in and says, lift up your eyes. Abraham, there's another way to see. Abraham, there's a possession here I want to show you. It's, it's immense. The four corners of it, you'll, you'll never explore the four, the four corners of this land in your lifetime. You know, your seed will increase in this land and take possession of it. It'll fill up this land. But, but, but it's, it's an immense reward. It's a, an, an, an incredible possession. Now, let's walk it. You know, let's go from from let's 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 explore the unsearchable riches of Christ, and that's for me. That's what it's all about. So I just maybe that's a good place to stop. And uh, 